Hello and welcome to the Blue Economy podcast presented by Rhode Island, the ocean state. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and on this episode, we're talking about ocean and coastal policy. Our guest is Dr. L. Widisono, a John A. Naus Marine Policy Fellow who's currently serving in the U.S. Senate's Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. L. graduated from the University of Rhode Island with a PhD in sustainable fisheries and joined us to talk about her early days on Capitol Hill working on ocean conservancy efforts. Thank you to Elle for joining us and thank you for tuning in today. As always, we hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And you can learn more about the show at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or by following us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And now here's our interview with Dr. L. Wibisono, Policy Fellow with the United States Senate. Welcome to the podcast, Elle. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, so you're a recent URI grad, and you were recently named a, a John A. Naus Marine Policy Fellow in D.C. Um, or, and now you're in D.C. working with the U.S. Senate on ocean and coastal policy issues. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the fellowship and kind of, you know, what you're working on in D.C. right now? Yeah, of course. So um, I think one really interesting fact about the fellowship is that Canals, like the person itself, um, was the dean at the URI um, Graduate School of Oceanography. Okay. So I feel like we've gone pretty uh, full circle there. <laughs> um, happy to be representing Rhode Island. Um, but yeah, so the fellowship is this really cool opportunity from NOAA Sea Grant um, for graduate students working in any marine related field. So you could be working on under like hydrothermal vents or more on like ocean circulation or like on how the water impacts the weather. And in my case, my background was in fisheries. And basically um, the fellowship gives opportunities to these graduate students to um, learn more about um, kind of like the intersection between the science and policy. So um, they could either be placed in the executive executive branch. So um, agencies that implement the law like um, NOAA itself or US Fish and Wildlife or Marine Mammal Commission, or uh, in the legislative branch where I'm at, where um, basically you're either in the House or the Senate and you help um, make those laws that um, the executive branch then um, implements. So yeah, it's a really interesting opportunity. So um, right now I'm in the U.S. Senate Commerce, um, Science and Transportation Committee, um, subcommittee on the Ocean Fisheries, um, Climate Change and Manufacturing. Prior to the fellowship, I didn't even know that there are committees in the Senate. <laughs> um, my impression of the Senate is like, oh, okay, there's like the senators and you work for like the personal offices of the senators. But as it turns out, there's like the committees and they actually review all of the bills that um, is under their jurisdiction um, before. And they write reports on it and like um, provide like feedback. Um, so but, it's, but, but uh, the committees are made up of, of the senators, no? Yeah, so uh, there are members. And um, so right now, the chair of the committee is um, Senator Canwell from Washington State. And then there's like a bunch of um, other senator members. And then we're just, um, we're the committee staff <laughs> um, who works on like the actual review of the bills and like writing the reports and the memos and um, and stuff like that. So as far as what I'm doing right now, this past two months, we were, we were actually quite busy with the reconciliation bill for the COVID relief um, sure. with the Votorama and stuff like that. Um, I just started the fellowship. So I remember for the first Votorama, it happened on, it started on Thursday. I started my fellowship 
on Thursday. So I got my work laptop and my work phone, and then it was just nonstop emails and phone calls. So when they say the fellowship is like drinking from a fire hydrant, I was like, okay, got it. I I, I get what that means now. Um, but now that things have kind of settled down a little bit more, we're settling in into um, what the priorities are for this year, what the portfolios are going to be like, and appropriation season is coming in. And appropriations is basically um, people have um, funding requests, like, um, sure. and if they want like increased funding from the previous year, and then we kind of sift through it, and then we write a letter to the chair to on what we think or what she thinks would be like the top priorities to bring up to the appropriations committee. So yeah, lots of um, letters coming in. Well, so, and what is the Rhode Island Sea Grant just for people who might not be aware of it? Yeah. So the Sea Grant is part of NOAA and basically they work on trying to make um, science implementable in all the areas that Sea Grant operates in. And um, I think the big theme in Sea Grant is basically trying to connect the research into action items and also relying on the community. Um, so filling in what scientific gaps are in the community and what does the community think about what the solutions are going to be and kind of facilitating that process between the need and then the scientists and then implementing it. And so a big part of what they do, apart from the research itself and like extension, is also education. So I guess the fellowship is part of um, that education umbrella of what Seagrin does. Well, so uh, kind of stepping back a little bit, um, in an interview with the Boston Globe, um, you said that your kind of experience scuba diving in the coral reefs as a teenager led you to, um, in Indonesia, right? Um, Led you to pursue uh, a career in marine conservation. Can you, you know, tell us a little bit about that origin story and how you got interested in the ocean to begin with? Yeah, definitely. So I started scuba diving since I was probably 13 years old in Indonesia. And I think I was really lucky being, um, you know, living and growing up in Indonesia, because I think the most like beautiful coral reefs are there. Some people might argue <laughs> about that very subjective statement, but I do think the really beautiful coral reefs are in Indonesia. And it is in the hotspot of the coral triangle. I was very lucky to be able to um, go scuba diving in the Komodo Islands. and and when I went underwater, it was basically like watching that, like National Geographic or some other underwater video. It was just completely bursting with color. There's this one dive site where I was just at the bottom looking up because I could not believe that there's a traffic jam of fish. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like there's so much water, but there's so much fish that it looks like there's a traffic jam of fish. Um, but then um, the uh, dive operator also took a took us to some of these places where it's completely obliterated because of blast fishing and just kind of like seeing the really pristine reefs and then seeing coral rubble like one after another was really jarring for me. And um, at that point, um, being like the 12 or 13 year old idealistic um, child that I was, I was like, all right, I'm going to get into marine conservation because um, these blast fishing is really bad. We need to stop it. And I want to protect um, the coral reefs. Um, I guess as I grew older, I realized it's not that simple and neither is it that like black and white, I guess, um, as far as like, you know, like saying something is bad or something is wrong or, you know, these people, these fishers who like dynamite the reef as like the villains or something. Sure. Um, I Yeah, so I, I kind of grew and it had like more nuanced perspectives now compared to when I was 12, but that, I think that was the <laughs> I, 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 I hope we all do. Yeah. 
But, um, you know, on, on this podcast, we t- typically talk, talk to business leaders in the blue economy. And so, you know, we're appreciative of kind of the nuances of environmental concerns versus economic concerns uh, and people who are kind of focused on monetizing different elements of the ocean. Um, from your point of view now, like, how do you see the relationship between marine con- conservation efforts and I guess the business community at large? You know, like, how, like I guess, we're, you know, look, Obviously, we don't we don't want people blowing up coral reefs, but like you know, what's the how do you find the line between you know legitimate business concerns, whatever legitimate means, um, and kind of the need for marine conservation now? Yeah, I think it's a very hard balance um, to strike, and I think there's definitely this constant sort of like tug of war, or push and pull between them. But uh, um, my very idealistic side of me still believes that there is room for both like um, sustainable fishing practices, for example, can coexist with like like the seafood industry and stuff like that. And this is just um, taking some example from what I see back in Indonesian fisheries. Um, it might not apply to every other fishery, but for example, like a lot of, right now it's basically overfished, but um, at the same time, most of the fish that's caught is being discarded because there's just not enough like, ice factories in the remote areas. There's not like good refrigeration in the vessels and stuff like that. So in the sense that, is there room for like the business to flourish? Yes, we just need it to be a lot more efficient. Like the solution is not to, okay, send out more boats and catch more fish, but how do we um, kind of like go for that quality instead of the quantity? And I feel like um, in a lot of um, business ventures in the ocean, I think that similar principles could be applied there where um, businesses can flourish, but maybe it's not in just adding more, but um, how do we make the most out of it? You know, obviously here in Rhode Island, some of the most interesting business opportunities in the ocean are around fisheries and kind of offshore wind. Um, Are there some kinds of ocean businesses that you see as particularly well positioned to thrive in the coming years? I mean, I know that obviously we're going to have to, do a lot of things to react to climate change, but, you know, are like, are there specific businesses that you focus on kind of in your work in in, in the Senate right now, or things that you're sort of like looking to the future for? Um, Right now we haven't um, focused on that in the Senate yet, but just personally based on my like research experience and based on my own studies, I guess, um, I think in the future, there's going to be room for um, what we would consider like fisheries champions, um, because I think there's a strong push for, for example, like um, sustainable labeling for sustainable seafood or stuff like that. And as that part of the industry gets more and more champion, there is so much more opportunity um, for that sector compared to uh, everybody else. So I think um, as people look to be more conscious with what they're buying or what they're eating, um, yeah, being very cognizant about sustainable practices, not just for fishing, but anything else, right, relating to the ocean, is going to um, uh, be really important and maybe can give you an edge in the future. Cool. Um, I guess what kind of governmental or economic measures do you think can be helpful at promoting sustainable businesses for the ocean? I mean, are, like, you know, obviously there's, you can put money towards uh, sustainability, but like, I, you know, what are some good, what do you think are some good long-term solutions or have you come across anything that is particularly interesting lately? Um, that's a really good question. And I think it will vary depending on the region and how sort of like that seafood industry is set up, um, depending on the area. Um, 
again, because my background research is based in Indonesia, that's most of where um, my insights are coming from. But at least in Indonesia, like, uh, uh, I think there's a strong push, for example, in like, eco labeling, like the marine stewardship council labels for a lot of like our seafood products, um, or even like for fair trade certification to also help enhance like the communities and their livelihoods and um, community structure and support and stuff like that. And the whole point is that so that um, we can get better pricing for the seafood and being able to access those export markets that otherwise the Indonesian fishers won't be able to access. Uh, again, obviously, that's a very kind of like a more unique issue that um, Indonesian fisheries face and not directly applicable to every other fishery. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> What would you say is kind of your dream job moving forward? I, you know, are you interested in staying kind of in legislative stuff or, you know, what's what's kind of the, what would be like the most kind of uh, the biggest fulfillment of this, of, of what, what you're working on now? Um, I don't know if a job like this exists. Um, so if anybody knows of it, please let me know. <laughs> but um, so I'd like to still be in somewhat like that science and policy intersection um, space. But also, if possible, bring in my um, passion and art. Um, like right now, I'm doing a children's book. Like I'm writing and illustrating a children's book on snappers based on my dissertation. And I make and I make fish comics just for like general education on fisheries and and stuff like that. And I'm not sure how to mesh all of those three subject matters together. But if there is um, a job that requires me to combine all three, that would be the the dream the dream job. And are, are, is the the book, so you, you have a children's book, but are the comics, you know, how do you distribute them or, you know, who are they for? Oh, it's, um, right now it's just posted on Instagram and my personal website. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's for um, the general audience. I try to make it as sort of lighthearted or funny or easy to um, understand as possible. And I I write it in both English and Indonesian too. So, you know, both people here in the US and in Indonesia can um, understand a little bit more about fisheries. <laughs> Actually, you know, one question that I sort of missed earlier, you know, can you talk a little bit about kind of your academic and research focus when you were doing your PhD at URI? Um, you know, and also maybe how, how did you get to URI in the first place? Yeah, um, I'll start with how I got to URI in the first place, um, perhaps. Um, so. Before I started graduate school, I was working for the Nature Conservancy in Bali, Indonesia. And the focus of our project is this deep water snapper and grouper fishery in Indonesia. And during my work there, I um, came across Lynn Hale. Um, she's based out of Narragansett and she was a senior person at the TNC, um, at TNC at that time. By complete serendipity, uh, my sister got accepted to Brown University. So we all well. came to the U.S. <laughs> to like take her there. And then I reached out to Lynn and I told her, I'll be in the area if you want to, you know, want to catch up or whatever. And she said, oh, like you should do your um, snapper grouper presentation that you did at the Nature Conservancy at the University of Rhode Island. I think they'll be really interested to hear about um, your experiences there. So I did that and I got connected to Dr. Austin Humphrey who was just starting out as a professor and was looking for graduate students. And he also had um, pretty strong ties with um, coral reef research in Indonesia because that was part of his background. So everything just kind of fell into place um, that way. And that's how I found my way to the University of Rhode Island. And um, only after enrolling there, I found out that URI has uh, 
pretty long ties with Indonesia. There's a lot of um, Indonesian students from the Ministry of Marine Affairs and Fisheries enrolled while I was there as part of um, like their partnership. And yeah, so it's it's definitely, it's really cool. And to go into more into my expertise, I um, took my experience with the Nature Conservancy with the deep water snapper and grouper fishery and kind of just ran with it. Um, so the graduate studies was done also in partnership with um, the Nature Conservancy. And yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot of different red colored snappers, which is just called red snappers. And that's definitely not accurate because each of them have like different sustainability levels. Oh, interesting. Each species kind of like gets impacted by the fishery differently. So once everything is just kind of under this monolith of red snapper, whatever that means, um, that all of those granula granularities disappear. And it's then really hard to make any policy changes on what to do with the fishery. So yeah, the species um, identification was sort of like the first big hurdle that we had to overcome. Interesting. Well, cool. You know, one question we try to ask each of our guests, um, you know, from what, from your perspective, what do you see as kind of the most exciting opportunity in or around the ocean? Um, and that could be really anything. I mean, it's, you know, like a, it could be in fisheries or it could just be like, you know, something else that you see in the ocean that you find fascinating. Um, this has nothing to do with uh, fisheries and I've only sure. read very little about it, but what I think is really cool is like we keep on finding different forms of life around those um, hydrothermal vents. And that's just wild because I think just using very basic logic, you're like, there shouldn't be anything there, but there is, and they're flourishing and there's so many of them. Cool. Uh, well, that's just about the, uh, you know, all the time we have, but thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks again to Dr. L. Wibisono for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us, catch up on past episodes, or shoot us a note with your comments, head to www.blueeconomypodcast.com, or look us up on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, I'm your host, David Hirschman. Thanks for listening.